0: This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we are uh, in the st- in a study of the book of 1 Corinthians, as many of you know. And uh, we kind of jumped ahead last week to, to 1 Corinthians 15 to talk about the resurrection. We're back in our study, so we're kind of going back uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, starting in verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue hardcover Bible there, probably in a seat pocket near you. Or uh, you can follow along. We're going to just project the scriptures up here. We learned last week a little bit about uh, some of the problems that were going on in this church in Corinth. They were a beautiful mess. Uh, so last, last time we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about them taking each other to court. And how Paul tries to encourage them to to think differently about themselves and to relate differently to each other and to not live like the world around them. Well, today he's going to move on to another issue. and, And we've talked about this. Paul is writing, he's written several letters, but this letter back to this church, he's writing about things that he's heard about them that concern him, as well as, a little bit later, questions that they wrote asking him about. He founded this church. He was their spiritual father. And now they're kind of acting like, uh, like rebellious teenagers, and they're living it up. And so he's writing to them to, conf- to confront them. So last, two weeks ago, we talked about them dragging each other to court. That's one problem. Today, we're going to get to the juicy stuff. Today, he's going to talk to them about their sex lives. Whew. All right. So... Now, we've talked a little bit about the culture in Corinth. Corinth was a pretty cosmopolitan city. It was uh, kind of swanky and cool, and they were affluent and diverse. Um, and, and honestly, they had a lot of things in common with our culture. But one thing they had in common with us as well is the, the, the society tended to be really polarized, especially when it came to the issue of sex. You see, some people were all about uh, overdoing, and some people in a reaction talked about never doing. So some indulged and others ignored, specifically, sex. Some would accelerate where others would avoid it completely. Some were libertines. That's a kind of an older word, wild, wild things, while others were legalists. Here's the point. When it came to the issue of sex, they had a tendency to either go to one extreme or another. Luckily, we don't do that in our country. If, just try to find an, an issue that's important to people that isn't polarized. People that take it take take a stand to the extreme, and the middle is a pretty uh, quiet, empty place. Well, let's begin reading in 1 Corinthians six, starting in verse twelve. You see, Paul is going to address not their behavior. We've talked a little bit about uh, one of the one of the things that they used to do in this culture as a part of their worship was that there would be priestesses at church. And part of worship basically was prostitution. And you thought the church you grew up in was whacked, right? Um, but prostitution as a part of worship, and, and again, we scratch our heads, how could this possibly be? But what you need to understand is that the Greek mind that influenced a lot of the city of Corinth, in the Greek mind, these bodies were just a shell, it, this isn't me. The real you, the real me, is the spirit inside us, this golden glowing jewel, and we're encased. In fact, I think it was Euripides who, who said, you know, I'm a, I'm a shining spirit chained to this dying corpse. Like, and, and if you think about it, we hear that in our culture today. You hear people about, like, they're going have to their, have their bodies frozen, Right cryo whatever, cryo stupidity. Um, They're gonna have their bodies frozen so that they can thaw them out when they figured out the cure. Right, Um, or uh, maybe maybe they're gonna simply, have you watched a movie lately where they transferred somebody's consciousness into somebody else's body? (laughs) Yeah, that's all the rage now, you know? If you're a movie star, you've had it done to you a couple times already. Or or maybe you watch some of the sci-fi movies where they talk about how mortals finally figure out a way to ascend to a higher plane. Ooh. You see, these issues are still with us in our culture today. But at the root of their issue was this idea that somehow their spirit was the real them and their bodies were nothing but a shell. Maybe you sometimes are tempted to think that way. After all, it seems like the, the, the scriptures address our spirit over and over and over again. And these bodies seem to be such a problem. You know. If we could just get rid of this body, boy, it would be so much better. And so Paul is going to correct them and correct us about this incorrect misinterpretation of the teachings of Scripture. So today he's going to talk about those who are basically doing sex in excess. They, they basically think... It doesn't matter how much I do it or where or how or whatever, because after all, you know, the spiritual plane is just so much more important than what happens to this body. A little bit later, he's going to talk to people who are saying, ah, 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 if you're spiritual, no sex at all. Even if you're married, if you're spiritual, just none of that stuff. Just, just become an aesthetic. So he's going to try to find this balance. Now, when it comes to taking each other to court, when it came to being divided and fighting amongst different groups, he addressed their behavior. Hey, you're doing this. Stop it. Today he's going to do something a little different. Instead of addressing the behavior, he's going to address the thinking that is behind the behavior. You know, everybody's behavior is fueled by kind of a worldview, OK? Um, you know, perhaps you've known somebody who, who says, you know, uh, "I just know something bad's going to happen," right? They have this impending sense of doom. Something bad's going to happen. And, and that way of thinking affects how much risk they take, which is zero. Or maybe I remember my dad. Uh, my dad was not a believer at this time, and I remember him saying, whatever happened, good or bad, terrible, he just like, ah, what are you going to do? Que sera, sera, Thank you, Doris Day. <laughs> que sera, sera, You know what? It's going to be it's kind of fadeless. You just got to roll with it, Whatever. So they had a certain way of looking at things, and instead of addressing the behavior, he's going to address the thinking. And I'm going to suggest that often if we can address the error in our thinking, changing our behavior could be easier. So we're going to start reading in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6. Now, he is quoting their way of thinking. In fact, he's going to quote several slogans here. He's basically quoting things that they say all the time. He's going to quote them, and then he's going to have something to add to that. So the first slogan that the Corinthians were famous for was this one right at the beginning. In quotes, I have the right to do anything, you say. I have the right to do anything. So you see the slogan. Like now, now, who in their right mind in church says, I have the right to do anything? What, what did they mean? And I've been thinking a lot about this. You probably didn't come to church thinking to yourself, you know what, today I'm just going to do anything I want at church. Whatever strike, you know, like, we don't think that way. And it's hard to imagine them thinking that way. But remember, Paul founded this church, spent a year there teaching them. They really actually had a great deal of solid teaching. I think probably what happened is they took some of what he had taught, and now that he had been away, they began kind of tweaking it, twisting it, changing it misapplying it. For instance, he taught them something like what's found in Galatians 5. Now, Galatians 5 wasn't written to Corinth, but I'm sure Paul taught this same principle to them. In, first, in Galatians five one, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and don't let yourselves be burdened to be chained again by a yoke of slavery. So, Paul taught them, hey, when Jesus sets you free, you're free. And now they're applying it to say, well, you know, well, if I'm free, then everything's, I can do anything I want, and I'm good. I'm I'm free. I'm free from all those rules. I'm saved by grace, not by works. So my works don't matter. There's nothing that I can do. Wow, you could almost quote me, right? Hey, there's nothing I could do that would make God love me less. Already you know that that doesn't mean you get to do anything you want. But they were just taking it, like running it out, the whole idea, as far as they could. Taking it to the extreme. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. He promised. So maybe I live for him. Maybe I don't. Wow. Now, if somebody said that to you, you catch them at the bar or... You catch them with somebody that they're not married to, or you. So, I mean, so I don't know what you. You catch them cheating on their taxes. You catch them stealing from work. You're like, and they say, "Hey, I'm a Christian. I trusted Christ. I'm going to heaven." And th- this kind of stuff, you know. Hey, as far as God's concerned, He loves me no matter what. And you'd go, "I know what I would say. I think you know." She'd say, "No, you don't have the right to do anything you want." Paul doesn't say that. Instead, he actually goes a step beyond that and adds a standard above what they're... Like, uh, there's a principle of freedom, and then there are principles more important than freedom. And that's what he's going to say. That's why he goes on and talks about this idea of liberty. Uh, Liberty means that we are not saved by the way we behave, we're saved because of what Jesus did. And because of that, we're free to do many things. It doesn't impinge on our walk with him or how he sees us, this is true. But there are rules that, and I hated to use this word, trump, um, but, but you know where I'm with it. We, but there are some principles that trump the idea of liberty. And the first one is right here in this first verse. He says, you say, I have the right to do anything But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. What's he saying? You see, there are some behaviors that will help my spiritual life more than others. There are some behaviors that don't help my spiritual life at all. And there are some behaviors that do damage to my spiritual life. Do you have any of those? I think we all do. We have things in our lives that really encourage. For instance, uh, we're going to have a membership class later today. One of the things we're going to talk about in the membership class as we talk about what membership means. I ask everybody in the class, so if you're going to the class, here's your your advance notice. I'm going to say, so, going to church is important. Yes. It's probably one of the more important things we can do in terms of our spiritual life. Yes, yes, yes. So how long, how often is a church member allowed to miss church? Ooh. Well, see, part of us wants to say, well, never, because it's so important to our spirit. Ooh, but we don't. But it's not like a rule where you can never miss. Of course, you can miss. I mean, you get sick, or you go on vacation, or you know whatever. You know, and you struggle. See, we have freedom. You have freedom to miss church. But what helps your spiritual life? What benefits you? See, they seem to have this idea that anything that was legal, as long as it was legal, it was also moral. As long as it's allowed, then I can do it. And what Paul's saying is, hang on, there's more to this issue than just what's allowed. Have you heard something? What? There's no rule against that. There's no law against that. He says there's something more important than a rule. So what kind of behavior would trump liberty? One is, does it help your spiritual life? Another one is this, in the, later on in the, next, in the same verse. Could this behavior control me? Let's keep reading. He says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Mastered. Actually, I wish we had time this morning to talk about what that word means. I mean, we know what it means in English, and the Greek means the same. I just wish I could show you some passages where it's used. It's really emphasizing kind of like that slavery versus master kind of an angle. Not like like just your boss at work kind of master, but like like somebody who's got a whip or a, a... a rod over your, your head and your back, that threat where you, you really have absolutely no freedom. He says, I will not be mastered by anything. Um, when does a behavior become a problem? When you can't stop it. You say, well, it's no problem, Mike. I can stop anytime I want. I can prove it to you. I've stopped dozens of times. Wait. (laughs) Okay, already we see the slippery slope. And when we have a behavior that we find difficult to stop, and then that behavior begins to have a negative effect on our spiritual lives, it becomes a huge threat to what God wants to do in you and through you. Listen to the words of Romans 6, Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? See, that's what he's saying. He'll say, hey, I'm free. I've got liberty. I can do whatever I want. So should we just live it up because God can't kick us out of heaven because he'd be a liar? Free grace. He says, no way, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Boy, that's brilliant thinking, isn't it? When you're the slave of somebody, you have to obey them. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or whether you're a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, if you want to study that more, you can look at 1 Corinthians 2 or Hebrews 12. But here's the idea. I'm free to do anything. Instead of arguing with that, instead of saying, no, you're not free, what Paul says is, you may be free, but there's something more important. And the first question is, does it help my spiritual life? Look through your calendar. Look through your your, phone, your smartphone, look, look through your checkbook, look, look through, do, does most of what's represented there benefit your spiritual life and that of somebody else, or is it neutral, or is it a hindrance? He says, what you should be asking is, does this help my spiritual life? And secondly, you should be asking, will this enslave me? Could this become such a habit that it starts to control me? So their first slogan was, I'm free, and he says, There's something more important than being free. The second slogan is found in the next verse, verse 13. He says, you say, now he's quoting them, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Huh? What does that mean? So let me try to break that down for you. What they seem to be saying, their little theme is, hey, look. The stomach, our stomachs, our bodies need food. And God made food. Why? For our stomachs. And basically, our stomachs and food, both are going to be burned when Jesus comes back. None of it's going to matter. So, if I want food and there's food there, I should just eat it. Because it has no effect on eternity. Stomach for food and food for stomach. But remember... He's not talking to them about food. He's talking to them about sex. So how would you apply this to sex? And I think that the thinking goes something like this. Hey, we're all human and we have urges. And then we're presented with opportunities to satisfy those urges. Eventually, God's going to burn all this away anyway. He could have, got rid of my, could have got rid of all of that if he wanted to when I got saved. So, I mean, I've got an appetite, and there's a chance to fill it. You know what? You just fill it. It's not a big deal. None of it matters. I'm only human. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Hey, I'm only human. I have, I have needs. What about Bob? I have needs. I need, I need. We, all, we are needy. Our souls are needy. They're constantly needing. They were made like that. They were made like that to seek God because these other things don't satisfy. So Paul has a couple of things that he wants to point out about this. There are some flaws in their thinking. He says, you guys think that you can kind of satisfy all of your sexual urges in any way you want, and it doesn't matter. The first problem with that is You don't remember, you don't understand that your body has a higher purpose. This isn't just a shell. It's just not a container for me. Your body has a purpose. He intends to use your body to do His will. Look at uh, verse 13b. Paul says this, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You see, your body is actually supposed to serve God. That's what he made it for. It's not made for just just meeting these other appetites. The second flaw that he wants to point out is this. He says, look, just as Jesus' body was raised from the dead, your body too is going to be raised from the dead. Both sets of bodies have eternal value. You ever watch like a crime show and they are trying to solve it and they can't solve it because they can't find a body? As right? soon as they find a body, then there's all this wealth of forensic information. Well, the Corinthians were hoping, like, hey, all these bodies burn, there'll be no evidence. Paul says, surprise, it's not going to burn. It's going to be raised. I have this nightmare. I have this nightmare that I go and get a huge tattoo on my face, worse than Michael Tyson. This big tattoo. And then, of course... I have such regret later, and I keep thinking, well, at least, at least when I get to heaven, it'll be gone. And then you wake up in heaven, God says, no, I just resurrected the body, but the tattoo still stays. Ah, right? You see, they thought it didn't matter. What he says is, because Jesus' body was raised, your body will be raised. Now, I do think that we're going to be, our bodies will be healthy in heaven. We're, someday we're going to be reunited with our bodies. We are going to be healthy. But I can't find a single verse that says you're going to look any better. <laughs> I'm sorry. You get to heaven, you don't get to pick a new outfit. And, and, and now i got to be honest with you. I've looked in the mirror several times this week and thought... You're kidding me, right? (laughs) Like, for all eternity, this is me? And I found out that I tend to think that this body is just a shell. And that what's important is my spirit inside. But when I look in the mirror and realize, no, I am looking at me. Huh. Hmm. Paul writes this in verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and now he will raise you also. You see, Jesus was risen from the dead. You're going to be risen, raised from the dead. Your body. So what you and I do to it matters. You know, I think, I think our culture tends to think about sex and our bodies kind of like a Imagine a group of uh, primitive people who stumble upon an automobile. And they realize that if they start it and they push the accelerator, it makes a big vroom, vroom, vroom. Ooh, that's cool. So they all gather around and they, they make it make noise. But eventually it stops and they realize, oh, it, you have to put this liquid in it. So they put more gas in it. And then it'll go vroom, vroom, vroom. But as they do vroom, 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 it needs more gas. So they put more gas in it so they get more vroom, vroom, vroom. And they think that's the purpose of this machine. How sad that they don't realize that the purpose of the car was not just to go vroom, vroom. You put gas in the car so that it can take you to places that you've never seen before, to experience beauty that you didn't know existed, to take you far over the horizon. I want to make this clear. The scriptures teach that our sexuality is meant to do much more than simply be satisfied. It's not just an appetite that has to be satisfied. I know that's how we experience it. I understand that. What we have to fight to understand is that instead God intends it to be a vehicle that takes us to places to understand him in ways that we never could. Everything in our culture says that sex is just a simply body-on-body thing. I was listening to some radio commentators, and they were interviewing really academic, smart people about teenage sexuality and all kinds of things going on. And I was getting so angry. They were just dismissing, laughing and dismissing about teenagers promising to be abstinent till marriage. And they scoffed. One lady said, well, that's not going to happen. And I thought, how dare you? Not only can it happen, it's best when it happens. Now, I, I know you understand that when we fail, there's forgiveness, and there's, there's a chance to redeem. And, and yes, of course. But I just want to say that when we talk to our students, you're a student here. I want to talk to you. Don't buy that line that somehow this is just something that, just one more step in your growth. It's a gift, not just an appetite. And if you will take God at his word, because I know your body's not going to agree with you all the time, but if you'll take God at his word and let it be the vehicle that he intends, it can take you to a place of great beauty. Then he goes on, verse 15. Don't you know, how many times have we seen him say this? Don't you know, don't you know, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Wow. We are members of Christ himself. Okay, so I've got a question for you. In fact, I wish we had time this morning. I would have a little vote. Um, in fact, let's, we'll just do a quick raise of hands. You ready? How many of you think that Jesus' body was special. <clears throat> How many of you think that Jesus' body looked just like everybody else's? He's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You, some of you voted twice. <laughs> was Jesus' body special or not? Uh, yeah. Well, de- <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, like, well, it depends on what you mean, Mike. I mean, I mean, did he glow? No. Did he float? Nope. Not not until after the resurrection. See, part of the reason they Christified him is because they were expecting a Messiah, and he didn't look anything like a Messiah. He looked just like a guy. In one sense, his body was absolutely flesh and blood just like us. It had to be for him to die in our place. But are we willing to say there's nothing special about Jesus' body? For instance, if that body appeared here today, wouldn't you... With me, fall at his feet and cling to those feet? Wouldn't you want to kiss his hand? Wouldn't you, could, could you even take your eyes off of him as he walked around? Of course, Jesus' body is special. But what makes it special? It's not the abilities. It's not floating or walking through doors. What makes his body special is that the Son of God himself has filled that body. He's there. He's present there. That's what makes his body so special. So let me ask you this. What makes your body so special? I mean, the scripture says that by his spirit, he lives in you too. That we together are the body of Christ, it's described. He says, you are members of Christ himself. If you would... And, and Well, he goes on. He goes, shall we take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. <laughs> Aren't there people in your life, like when you spend the day with them, you, you, you have a, a more pure day, a better day? You're tempted to say bad words less often because they're there. Oh, you know, you kind of check yourself. Suppose we would check ourselves if Jesus was present? Which of us would take and, and hook him up with a prostitute? It's just deplorable. Never. Don't you know that one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? This is something we know, that the two bodies are blended and become one. It's part of the problem with our, the sexuality in our cultures. They, they act like it's, it's all interchangeable. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. So the church is the body of Christ. Sex has a function, you guys. I wish I I could talk to all of our students. Many of them are down and out and around. But we need to understand that God intended sex to do something. It's a gift that unifies a man and a woman into a unique unit. He made it to provide great pleasure. But pleasure isn't its only purpose. That pleasure even reflects and amplifies what God wanted it to teach us. You see, the problem is that we desire it. We desire it. And we need to understand that we were created to desire it, to seek it, because it has value. But just because we desire something does not mean we must satisfy the desire. Sometimes the desire by itself can do the same thing. See, we we may desire beauty. I have a desire for beauty. I love beautiful things. And guess what? I'll go see something beautiful, but the next day, I want something more beautiful. We desire justice, and a desire for justice makes us seek justice. But will a desire for beauty be completely satisfied? No. Will a desire for justice be completely satisfied? No. Will our sexual desire be completely satisfied? The truth is, no. It comes from a desire for intimacy, the ultimate expression of whom is Christ himself. Until then, the appetite is there not to be satisfied So much as it is to be pursued and valued. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now apply that principle, but instead of church talk, remember we were just talking about sex. That's how close Jesus wants to be to us. Closer, in fact. Then he goes on, he says, flee sexual immorality. You know, the book of James says that we should resist the devil. So, okay, go ahead and resist the devil. But you don't resist temptation. You flee. You run. You book it. He says, all the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Okay, we've got to try to understand this too. That's a hard one. So here's an illustration. See if this helps. I want you to imagine that I purchased a beautiful 1968 Rolls-Royce. Convertible, all nickel top, beautiful woodwork on the inside. It's a beautiful machine. Now, I could sin using that machine. I could sin it while I'm in it, right? Think of some ways that I could sin in that car. I could go faster than the speed limit, and I could break the law. I would be sinning in the car. I could uh, rob a bank and use the car as a getaway car, and I would be sinning in the car. Got it? I can sin. He says, all the other sins you sin are outside of yourself. But now imagine that I go to pick up a ton and a half of manure for my garden, and I intend to do it with my Rolls Royce. Put the top down. Juan is there in the little backhoe. You sure? You know, if I loaded that Rolls-Royce with with manure, I didn't just sin in the car, I sinned against that car. And that's what sexual immorality does. You're actually taking it into yourself, he says. Why would you do that? Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The truth is, Paul says, each of us, we are more temple than we are Tupperware. We're not just containers, you guys. Your body is part of the whole package that Jesus saved. Don't buy the lie that our actions in these areas don't matter. Don't buy the lie that, well, no, as long as nobody knows, as long as nobody gets hurt, don't buy that. You're sinning against yourself. I sin against myself. Putting all that manure right in my Rolls Royce. But how do we apply all this? The truth is nobody decides one day to defile their lives. Nobody just puts a load of manure in their car. Instead, it happens little by little by little. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org